Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. So I want to welcome everyone to our uh, Wednesday night Bible study. As always, we are uh, making our way, as, as many of you know, or, or maybe you're visiting and you don't know, we are making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Tonight we come to Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. And as you can see, the title is, Thou Shalt Not Commit uh, Adultery. Now, just as, as we did last week, um, and as we'll do next week, we need to start with verse 20 and what Jesus says there. He says this, For I tell you, uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that, that statement is what we call a negative statement. It, it's saying that somebody does not have something. There is a group of men called the scribes and the Pharisees who have a righteousness, but it's not good enough. Uh, it's not what God requires for entry into heaven. Now, that's the negative statement, but that also tells us that there is a positive side to that. Uh, we could, the other side of the coin, so to speak, that there is a righteousness that some people do have that God requires that does allow them to get into heaven. Now, that raises really two very important questions. First of all, what does that righteousness look like? Okay, If there is a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, then what does it look like? We want to know that. But there's a much more important question than that, and that is, how do I get it? Right? I mean, it's one thing to, to say this is what it looks like, but you can know all about it and not have it. So that's the more important question is how do I get this righteousness? Now, in, uh, in, in chapter 5, Jesus is not necessarily focusing. In fact, he's not focusing on the second question. Now, by the way, I will answer that second question before we leave tonight. I'll tell you how to get the righteousness that God requires for us to get into heaven. And I've got a real point that I want to make about that. Um, But tonight, we're going to focus on what Jesus is focusing on in chapter 5, and that is, what does this righteousness uh, look like? Now, we said last week, we'll say over the next few weeks, that Jesus, in order to illustrate this righteousness that God requires to get into heaven... He is going to give us six illustrations, murder, adultery, divorce, we'll do that next week, Uh, the swearing of oaths, uh, vengeance, and love. Now, last week we looked at murder, and thou shalt not kill. Now, I'm not going to try to re-preach that or or re-teach that, but we learned two very important things about the command, uh, thou shalt not kill. It taught us two very important things about righteousness, and these are the two things. Number one... The righteousness that God requires is an internal righteousness as well as an external righteousness, okay? Uh, It's not just about the outside, it's also about the inside. 
Um, he said, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not kill. But I tell you, if you have anger in your heart, you're in danger of the judgment. If you insult or slander people, you're in danger of hellfire. So what he's teaching us there is the righteousness that God requires. is isn't just about not doing the outside things. It's about uh, having that righteousness on the inside. And the second thing we learn is that the righteousness that God requires... Uh, is a positive righteousness, not just a negative. It's, it's, a, it's a do, not just a don't. Uh, the Jews in that day, it was all about don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do that. But God says and it's, it's more than that. It's also about doing the right thing. Remember what he said last week, if you come to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, get up, leave and go make it right. Then come back and offer your gift. The, the, the righteousness that God requires isn't just don't do that. It means go be proactive, be positive, uh, and do the right thing in your life. Now tonight, we turn to the second illustration, and that is the illustration of uh, adultery. Let's read, we'll begin in verse 27. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Okay? Seventh commandment, we all know that. Now, the word adultery is really an interesting word. Um, We all probably know what it means, but it comes from the word adulterate. And to adulterate means to render something poor in quality by adding another substance. So let's take, for example, I don't know, let's say gas. If you add water to gas, you adulterate the gas. You cheapen it, you corrupt it, you contaminate it, you diminish it, you lessen it, you devalue it. Those are all synonyms for adulterate. Now, like I said, we know what adultery is. Adultery is sexual activity between a married person and someone other than their spouse. In other words, when you do that, you adulterate the marriage. You corrupt the marriage. You cheapen the marriage. You you contaminate the marriage by the addition of a third person. Now, we all know if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, God establishes marriage. Uh, Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and his father, and he shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. So right there is God's ideal for marriage. You've got one man, one woman, united by God for life. Okay, That's God's ideal for marriage. And God does not want that contaminated. He doesn't want it corrupted. He doesn't want it adulterated. So what he did is he enshrined that in the Ten Commandments. The Seventh Commandment, Exodus twenty fourteen: you shall not commit adultery. You shall not contaminate your, your marriage. Now, in the, that day, in Moses and the law and all back in the Old Testament, this was a big deal, right? In fact, the penalty for adultery was the same as the penalty for murder, which was death. Now, that's all changed. It's funny that today we still, if you kill somebody, still, we, we still give the death penalty, even today. But adultery, there's no crime against it anymore. It's like it's just yeah, it's between you and, and your wife or you and whoever, right? So, but in that day, it was a big deal. Leviticus 20.10 says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. I think Deuteronomy 22 is another place where uh, 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 Moses is calling out the, the penalty for adultery, and he talks about putting the evil from among you. 
So in that day and age, adultery was a big deal. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a crime punishable by death. Now, Jesus comes out and he says, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. Well, let me just say, they quoted it exactly right. That, that's exactly what the Ten Commandments said. So just like last week, we have to look at that statement and say, well, what's wrong with that? What's so bad? They said don't commit adultery. That's, that You shouldn't commit adultery. Uh, why does Jesus have a problem with that? Well, just like with thou shalt not kill, their quotation was accurate. But their interpretation of the law, their understanding of the law, uh, came up far short. Once again, they had reduced that commandment down to something that they could easily keep. That commandment to them, that literally meant do not commit the act of adultery. And as I said with murder, every night those men could lay their head down on their pillow and they would think to themselves, well, today I didn't sleep with anyone, you know, other than my wife, therefore I have kept this law perfectly. And they laid their head down and they thought they were okay with God. But Jesus understood that's a fallacy. Jesus knows that law means much more than just the act. So he speaks up in verse 28. He says this, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now I want to say three things about that statement right there. Okay, number one, I want to make sure that we understand that the act of adultery is worse than the thought of adultery. Okay, now, why do I say that? I want to make sure we understand that Jesus is not saying that uh, committing the actual act of adultery and just committing it in your heart are one and the same because they're not. And here's why I want to make sure we understand that. If we see both of these as exactly the same, then some man out there might say, well, you know, I've already done it in my heart. Might as well just jump on in, right? I've already committed it in my heart. If I'm already guilty of it, then, you know, if it's just as bad as doing it, then I might as well do it. And we don't want anybody out there thinking that, and Jesus didn't either. Let me tell you, the act of adultery is far worse than the thought of adultery because of its consequences and its repercussions. You see, if I look at a woman with lust in my heart and I commit adultery, at that point in time, the only people that know about that are me and God, right? The woman I'm looking at, she has no idea. My wife has no idea. My children have no idea. My pastor has no idea. The church board has no idea. You have no idea. It's just me and God. Now, certainly that's going to have some effect on my marriage. I'm not saying it doesn't have any effect. But now think about the act. Now you commit the act of adultery. And by the way, it always comes out. It always comes out. And then that comes out. Now think about the repercussions. I've hurt the woman. Uh, I've hurt my wife. I've hurt my children. In fact, I've damaged, very likely I've damaged my children long term. Don't think that, that well, I hear this kind of stuff all the time. Your children will carry that into their marriages. So that's a, that's a big deal, right? I, I, I've damaged my church. I mean, can you imagine I do that? What, is that? what does that do to us? 
I get up here every Wednesday night. Can you imagine the damage, the blasphemy that I would bring to the name of Jesus? Don't tell me that the act and the, and the thought are the same. They're far, the act is far worse. The consequences, the repercussions of it are far worse. Jesus' point here is that they're both sin. That's his point. They're both prohibited by the command, do not commit uh, adultery. The fact that adultery in the brain has less consequences than adultery in the bed doesn't mitigate the truth that they're both sin. They're both sin. Another way to put it is fantasized sexual immorality is just as sinful to God as physical sexual immorality. And let me tell you, there are respectable people, okay, that would never dream, never dream of committing the act of adultery. They, they, it wouldn't even cross their mind. And, 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 and for different reasons. For example, some of them just may not want to get caught, right? They may have a fear of getting caught. Some of them would never commit it because they love their wife or they love their family or they would never embarrass their church. There's a lot of good reasons, and I'm glad they don't commit the act. But let me tell you, those same people can be doing it in their heart every single day. And it's not good to have a heart that's full of sin, to have a heart that's full uh, of adultery. So let me tell you, you can commit that sin in your heart and nobody will ever know. You can, you'll still look perfectly respectable on the outside. But let me tell you, God knows. God sees it. And in His eyes, it is filthy and putrid and rotten. It's no different to Him. The second thing I want to point out about that statement and I want to make sure that we understand this because it's important, is the look that Jesus talks about here is not a casual glance. Okay, All the translations from King James to NIV to ESV, they all get it right. The idea here is that you are looking with an intent. Okay, It's not a casual glance. It is, it is absolutely possible for a man to look at a woman, to glance at a woman and say, that's a beautiful woman and not lust after her in his heart. That is perfectly, uh, that's perfectly legitimate, right? Uh, the word that's used here in this, and you can go back and look at the Greek and all of this kind of stuff, but the word that's used here is this idea that, that you set your eyes upon her for a purpose, that you're, you're considering, you're thinking about it. There's a lot going on behind that look. So uh, this translation says that you look with lustful uh, intent. So understand that the man that Jesus is talking about here or describing is looking at her with intent. He's looking at her with a purpose of feeding his inner sensual appetites. If you go back to Job 31, you guys have probably all heard this uh, over the years at one point or another. Job said this, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? And that word gaze is the same word in the Hebrew. It's not just look. It's not just glance. It's this idea of setting your eyes and, and looking and holding it and, and thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking about. So Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to do that. And we've probably all heard that over the years. But you may not know what comes a few verses later in Job 31.7. He said this, If my step has turned aside from the way and my heart has gone after my eyes. See, Job understood that what your eyes look at, your heart follows. What your eyes look at, your heart has a tendency to follow. And so he said, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Now, this leads us 
as a nice segue into the third thing I want to say about Jesus' statement. And that is that once again, just as he did with thou shalt not kill, Jesus is teaching us that sin always, always originates in the heart. The, the basis of all sin, the foundation of all sin, is our inner thoughts and feelings, not the outward act. A, a person commits the sin when they desire to do it. Whether you ever do it or not, or whether you ever commit the act or not, doesn't, that doesn't negate the fact that you've committed the sin when you want to do it. That is the Word of God. That is exactly what Jesus is teaching us here. Now, he taught us that last week. He makes the point again. Now, at this point, Jesus has expanded the definition, right? Remember what he did last week? He said, you say, or you've heard it said, you shall not kill. But I say, don't even have anger in your heart. Don't, don't, don't insult and slander people with your mouth. Here he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. In other words, don't commit the act. But I tell you, don't even look at a woman with lustful intent. So he certainly expanded the definition, but he doesn't stop there. He never does, by the way. Look at Matthew 5, 29 and 30. And then he says this, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now here's Jesus. He's just been talking about a man looking at a woman. And you look, of course, with your eyes. He says, you look at a woman with lust, you've, you've sinned. And then he says... If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away, get rid of it. It's better to go into, uh, in, in, into uh, heaven or into eternal life uh, with one eye than it is to go into with a whole body into hell. Now, let me say, how many of y'all over the years have you read that? that is, that's a shocking statement, isn't it? I mean, that's a radical statement. By the way, it was radical then. It was radical a thousand years ago. It's radical today, and it'll be radical tomorrow. This is a shocking statement. Now, a lot of you wonder, what does he mean by that? Does he really mean that I need to gouge my eye out? Does he really mean that I should cut my hand off? Well, let me first tell you what it does not mean, okay? First of all, neither your hand nor your eye ever causes you to sin. So cutting them off would be absolutely useless. In fact, Jesus never says in that statement that they do, does he? Just go back and read it. What does he say? What's that first word? If. If your right eye causes you to sin. If your right hand causes you to sin. Well, they don't. They don't cause you to sin. Look at Matthew 15, 19. It's for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, etc., etc. Sin comes out of the heart. We talked about that last week. Sin is born in the heart. It originates in the heart. Your eye doesn't cause you to sin. Your hand doesn't cause you to sin. By the way, think about it this way. If you did gouge out your right eye, you still got a left one, right? And if you cut off your right hand, 
I still got a left one. What's, what's the point of that? That doesn't make any sense. In fact, if you're going to take that literally, if you really believe that your eye, your eyes cause you to sin and your hands cause you to sin, if you really believe that, then the only solution would be to gouge out both eyes and to cut off both hands. Later on in Matthew, he, he even expands that to the feet. He says, if your feet calls you, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. By the way, there have been people down through the ages who have gouged out their eyes. And there have been people down through the ages who have just completely misunderstood this and cut off their hands. But that's not what he's saying at all. By the way, let me, let me just say something to you here. Any teaching that makes us live an unnatural life is not New Testament holiness. You might want to write that down. Any teaching that asks you to live an unnatural life is not New Testament holiness. This is the, this is the, the mistake that the Catholic Church has made with celibacy. They, they've asked men who were not born to celibacy and they were not gifted with celibacy, they've asked them to live a celibate life and it has been a disaster. It's a disaster. You're, you're asking these men to live an unnatural life. And it's, it's ridiculous. They're just a bunch of Pharisees. They think it's all about the outside. It, it does nothing. <laughs> Jesus is saying it doesn't control your thought life. It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? It's just been an absolute disaster to ask people to live an unnatural life. That is not New Testament holiness. What Jesus is doing here is he's using a figure of speech called hyperbole. And hyperbole is when you use an obvious exaggeration. We do it all the time, right? How many of you say, I got a million things to do today, right? This thing weighs a ton, right? I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. That's hyperbole. You say those things, it doesn't really weigh a ton. You don't really have a million things to do. You couldn't really eat a horse, right? You say those things to make a point, to get a point across. So the question is, okay, Jesus is using hyperbole. He's exaggerating. What's his point? Here's his point. Sin is serious. That's his point. Sin is so serious that you should do anything you can to get it out of your life. He uses this radical, shocking, exaggeration form of speech called hyperbole because he wants to wake us up. Because, listen, every single one of us naturally excuse our own sin. We're really good at seeing their sin and her sin and his sin. But me, well, you know, I'm just, God knows I'm just dust. Uh, you know, we're really good at excusing our own sin. And it's just not that bad. And he wants to wake us up, and he does that. Listen, folks, the wages of sin is death. That, that in one sense, does mean a physical death, but it means much more than that. Death in the Bible means an eternal separation from God. The wages of sin is death, means the wages of sin is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Sin will send you there. Therefore, you should do everything you can to avoid sin at all costs. Go, let's go back to that passage for a moment. And you may have noticed, why does Jesus say, if your right eye causes you to sin? If your right hand causes you to sin? We see in that day and age, the right hand was seen as more important than the left. 
If you go back in the Bible and just read the Bible, they're always, Jesus sits at what hand of God? He sits at the right hand of, of God. In the Old Testament, for example, when a leper would go and show themselves to the priest, they would make a sacrifice for him. They would take the blood and they'd put it on their right ear and on their right thumb and on their, right toe, their big toe of their right foot. Everything was right, 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 because that was considered more important. You see what Jesus is saying? See, what we would do, this is what we do. Well, if i got to take an eye, I'm going to take the left one. Because it's less important. Jesus said, no, take the right one. I'm gonna, if i got to take a hand, I'm going to take the left one because I'm better with the right one. Jesus said, no. If your right hand, if the most important thing you have is causing you to sin, get rid of it. Again, your, your hand's not causing you to sin. Your eye's not causing you to sin. His point here is that whatever is causing you to sin, however important it is in your life, you need to make you need to deal with it. You need to deal. Stop making excuses. This sin is a bad, bad thing. You, you can't just let it sit there. You have to deal with it. Listen, this is what he's saying. Nothing is worth missing heaven for. Nothing. Nothing is worth going to hell over. Nothing. I would ask you even now, think about your life. Think about the, the, what you're doing in your life. Think about the things that you're letting in, the places you're going, the people you're with, the, the experience you're, experiences you're exposing yourself to. Is it worth it? Just what Jesus is saying. Look at your life. Not, not your, it's not about this. It's about look at, look at the things around you. What are you letting influence you, no matter how important it is to you. You need to get rid of it. By the way, are you beginning to see why the Pharisees just boiled the law down to a nice little act? Because Jesus is saying, look at your heart. Listen, he, he just told a bunch of men, you can't look at a woman. And every man was like, how am I supposed to do that? Sometimes I do it, I don't even, I didn't even have a choice. It was like I didn't even, it, it wasn't like I came and it just, it, it was, you, you men have been there. You know what I'm talking about. It's like anger we talked about last week. How many of you, you know, you, something happens and you think, hmm, let me think about this. Should I get angry? Should I, should I, should I hold a grudge? No. It happens before you can turn around. The heart is hard to control. The mind is hard to control. In fact, without the Spirit of God, it's impossible to control. And that's why the Pharisees said, okay, we're just going to make it about the act. And as long as we don't commit these acts, man, we're okay with God. Jesus said, no. No, it's not going to work that way. Do you guys understand where Jesus is going with these illustrations? He keeps making... He keeps opening these sins up to our hearts and our minds and our emotions, things that we can't control, where He's leading us to is He wants us to see that we need a greater power than our, than our own self to deliver us from sin. We need a greater power. You don't have enough discipline. You can't read enough self-help books to deliver you from sin. You need a greater power than that. In fact, if you don't get it, we're, going to, we're on illustration number two. We'll go three, four, five, and six. And when we get to the end of the chapter, Jesus is just going to say this, be perfect. 
That's what's required to get into heaven. You didn't got it yet? Here it is. Be perfect as your Father in heaven. That's the righteousness right there that is required to get into heaven. You got to be perfect. By the way, thank God for that verse. That's the greatest verse. I, I mean, I used to look at that verse and I'm thinking, man, what does he, what does he want from this? And now I look at it and I say, thank you, God. Thank you for setting the bar so high that I can never think in my mind I can get there. Are you with me? As long as we think, we all think, well, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Can you be perfect? No, nah, can't do that. So let's stop right there and go back to our two questions. We're seeing more and more what this righteousness that God requires looks like. It's a righteousness of the heart. It's a, it's a righteousness that's not just about don't do things, but it does the right thing. It's a righteousness that, that fights sin, as he says tonight. It's a righteousness that requires things from us that we cannot do. So here's the question. How do I get it? How do I obtain it? Probably the easiest scripture, the best scripture to explain this is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. How do you get it? It's a free gift. You'll never earn it. You can get on that treadmill and run and run and work and work and run and run, and you'll never get it. You can never be perfect. So just take it. It's a gift. You see, the moment we put our faith in Christ, we are declared righteous. Let me give you two incredible scriptures. The first one is Romans 4, 4 through 5. Paul says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as what? Righteousness. Let me give you another one. Philippians 3, 9. To be found in Him, not, listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Paul said, I, 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 I kept the law better than any of you and it wasn't good enough. I'll never have a righteousness that comes from obeying the law. But I will have a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, there's a righteousness that we are given. And it depends on one thing, and that is our faith in Christ. It doesn't depend on your holiness, how holy you are. It don't depend on your sacrifices. It don't depend on how many good works you do or don't do. It doesn't depend on how religious you are and how many times you come to church and how much you tithe and uh, whether you fast. It doesn't depend on any of that. It depends on faith in Christ. And the moment you put your faith in Him... It is an imputed righteousness. He takes His righteousness and He gives it to you. It's what I call uh, the, the, the great exchange. He says, here, take my righteousness, give me your sin. Take my righteousness, I'll take your sin. Just because we believe in Him. That's it. Listen, I, the best example of this, you guys know I love examples. The best examples of this is the thief on the cross. That's the best example. I go back, I think, I, I, you know, used to I used to read that story, and I think, well, that's a neat story. 
as I get older and study the more in the Bible, man, I'm so glad for the thief on the cross. Because I go back to him time and time and time again to understand what true salvation really is. Uh, Alistair Begg, um, who's a, a preacher up in Cleveland, he preached a message about three years ago or so called The Power and the Message of the Cross. And he gave a, an illustration uh, about the thief, on the, uh, the thief on the cross. And just in case anybody here doesn't know who I'm talking about, let me just read it real quickly. Luke 23. Jesus is, is crucified with, uh, with uh, two thieves, one on each side of him. And it says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he turned to him and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> okay, there's just so many cool things about this. First of all, you understand he's looking at a man that's about to die. And he looks at him and he says, really two words, remember me. Have mercy on me. That's it. That's all he did. And Jesus looked at him and said, truly I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Do you understand this man's never baptized? This man was never a member of a church. He never attended a small group, never paid a tithe, never stood up in front of an audience and gave his testimony, never did any of those things, never did any good works, never performed any religious acts, never made any sacrifice, never did anything. And yet, he's in heaven according to the words of Jesus. That's incredible. You know how we often ask people this question? Imagine if you died today and you stood at the gates of heaven and you said, they asked you, they said, why should we let you in? What would you say? By the way, if any of your answers is in the first person, you got it wrong. If you say, because I believed because I had faith because I persevered to the end because I did this or I did that you're going down the wrong road because he because he so here's this can you imagine for with me for a moment the thief on the cross comes to the gate and the angel there says uh, why should we let you in and he says I don't know. And the angel says, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> you're, you're, you're here. What, you know, what's your qualifications for getting in? He's like, man, I, I don't know. What do you mean qualifications? And the guy says, well, you got to know, right? I've never run into this before. Everybody always knows. You. He's like, I don't know. So the angel says, well, let me get my, my supervisor. So he goes and he gets his supervisor, angel, and the other guy comes over and he says, well, he said, well, I understand you're saying you don't know why we should let you in. The guy says, yeah, I don't know. And so the supervisor angel says, well, let me ask you a few questions. You ever heard of justification by faith? And the thief says, man, I, I don't even know what that means. Them some big words you got right there. Never heard of it. You've never heard of justification by faith? What about the doctrine of imputed righteousness? Surely you know the doctrine of imputed righteousness. And that thief's like, man, I, I don't even know what imputed means. 
And the guy says, well, what about substitutionary atonement? Certainly you know about substitutionary atonement. The thief says, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I just I don't know any of those words you're using. And the angel says, well, why? what are you doing here? He said, the man on the cross said I could come. The man on the cross said I could come. Folks, let me tell you, that is the beautiful, amazing, wonderful, awesome gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. The man on the cross said I can can come. It ain't got nothing to do with anything I've done other than I just said, remember me. Have mercy on me. That's it, folks. That's that's the difference between true Christianity. That's the difference between... That's the difference. Every other religion falls short right there. Every other religion, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do that. Christianity says the man on the cross says I can come. Now, everybody got that? Is it, can, have I made that clear enough? Now I got a question. If that's true, and it is certainly true, then why in the world would Jesus say things like this to me? You remember last week he said if, you, if, if you've come to the altar and you remember you've got something against your brother, get up from the altar and go make it right, then come back. And then he said this, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. Why would, he, why, why would you say stuff like that to me? I, I, I'm depending on you for righteousness. Or why would he say stuff like this to me? If your right eye, Derek, causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Wait a minute. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven because I ask you to remember me. Why would you say things like that? Or how about the Apostle Paul? Why would Paul say things like this? Examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Why would they say things like that? Why would they look at me who, who are depending from, our, from all my righteousness on Jesus Christ and they say fight sin in your life. Examine yourself. Test yourself. Do it now. Why would Jesus make such a big deal out of sin? Not so that we can obtain righteousness because that's how righteous people live. Let me say it again. It's not so that we can earn our way to heaven. Not so that we can earn righteousness. No, that's how righteous people live. Do you not remember the very first... We started this four months ago. The very first uh, introduction lesson that we did, I put up this slide. I said the Sermon on the Mount is a perfect picture of what a Christian should look like under the rule of God. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's all about. It's not telling you this is how you have to earn your way. No, he's saying if you're a Christian, this is what it's going to look like. If you're a Christian, you're going to have righteousness in your heart. If you're a Christian, you're, you're going to be making your relationships right. If you're a Christian, you're going to be fighting sin. Folks, listen to me. There are so many people in this world that think because they walk down an aisle and, and they made some profession years ago and they come to church... 
that they're okay, and yet they're not fighting sin in their life. They're, they're not interested in fighting it at all. They just let anything come in. Something's wrong. That's not a picture of a Christian, according to, to Jesus. Let me show you some scriptures. Let's go back to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, just to show you that this is what a Christian looks like. Paul says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Look at the next verse. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Say it with me. For good works. How about Titus 2.14? Who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. That means to buy us back from sin. And to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus saved you to get you out of sin and purify you and, and, and make you a tree that doesn't bring forth bad fruit but brings forth good fruit. How about Romans 6.18? You've been set free from sin and now you've become a slave of righteousness. Or how about Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those Christians who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, these are all descriptions of Christians. You, this idea that you can be a Christian and just keep and not change, I've searched all over the Bible. I find one example, and that's the thief on the cross. It's the only, it's the only guy I can find. Because he just had no time. You see, folks, listen. The man on the cross doesn't just save, he delivers. The man on the cross doesn't just save you to leave you in your sin. The man on the cross saves you to get you out of your sin. The man on the cross doesn't just save you to leave you in the kingdom of darkness. He saves you to put you in the kingdom of light. And this is what he's doing. He's saying, look at yourself, test yourself, examine yourself. Is your righteousness just on a thing that's on the outside or is it a righteousness of the heart? I close with this. I want to read one scripture and, and, and I, just, I, I just love this. Listen to Paul in Romans 8, 13 to 14. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Do you see the connection? Who are sons of God? People that are led by the Spirit of God. What do people who are led by the Spirit of God do? They put to death the, the deeds of the body. If you're a child of God, you're being led by the Spirit of God. And if you're being led by the Spirit of God, you're killing sin. You're killing sin. Listen, I know, I, I had a conversation, uh, a couple conversations with people and after, we, after last week, and we, we've all, we all searched our hearts and a lot of us found that, man, we've got some anger and we've just got some stuff going on and we feel so bad that we've got that. And I told this person, but are you fighting it? Listen, there's a lot of people out here full of anger, bitterness, and nursing grudges, and they're going to do it to the day they die. They don't care. But that's not a Christian. A Christian fights it with everything they've got. A Christian fights it with everything they've got. See, that's the blessed assurance. When you know that the Spirit of God in you is fighting that sin and fighting that anger and fighting all that stuff inside of you. You're not perfect. You know that. But just the fact that you're fighting it means you're living like a saved person lives. And that's evidence that the Spirit is living inside of you and changing you. Listen, I'm going to do... We've got two or three minutes. I'm going to do what I did last week. 
Uh, I'm going to open this altar once again because some of us here have some things in our life that we need to get rid of. We've been playing with sin. We've been making excuses. We've been saying it's not that bad. You know, God understands and every excuse we can come. And Jesus is saying, gouge it out. Cut it off. Don't play with fire. Christians don't play with fire like that. Christians aren't perfect. Christians get knocked down. Christians make mistakes. But we got, but when we're, when you're, when you are, when you are, when he brings it in front of your face and says you need to deal with it, a Christian deals with it. So I'm just going to say here, I'm going to pray as I pray. If you want to come to the altar and, and just kneel for a moment, and you know what that thing is. You already know what it is. The Spirit's already dealing with you, showing you some things in your life. It could be relationships. It could be things you're doing that you should not be doing. You're putting yourself in circumstances and situations, and you're going to get burned. And when you get burned, the consequences are going to be horrendous. They're going to be horrendous for your family. They're going to be horrendous in your personal life. They're going to be horrendous for your children. you got a chance right now to stop it. You got a chance. As I pray, as I pray, you come. You come. If there's anything you want to just, just, just validate that before God and say, God, you brought this to my attention. I'm here tonight for a purpose. And, and with your help, with your help, I will gouge this thing out of my life. Please come as I pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. God, even now I ask you, Holy Spirit, to move in our lives and move in our hearts. If there's anything that anyone has here tonight, that they know, they know they're playing with fire. They know they're, they're playing with sin. God, have mercy. Have mercy on us, God. Have mercy. Lord, we, we so easily excuse these things. Don't let us do that. God, somehow, some way, tonight, give these people, give me, give all of us the strength to put an end, to gouge these things out of our life, to cut these things out of our life. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. It just never grows old. It never grows stale. It's just as alive and powerful and sharp today as it was the day on that mountain when you first spoke it. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to be the men and women as these days around us just grow darker and darker and darker. You are purifying a people. God, I want to be one of those people. I don't want to live the way I've always lived. I don't want to, to, to meddle around. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to have a foot on both sides of the fence. I want to be sold out to you fully and completely, no matter what it takes and no matter the cost. God, help us do that. Help us do that. Right now, as the thief on the cross said, God, have mercy. Remember us, Lord. Remember us. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do. I've already heard testimonies of what you did from last week's lesson, and I just believe we're going to hear testimonies from this week's lesson as well. We love you, we thank you, and we give you glory. And just let me say one more time, thank you. Thank you that you said that I could come. Thank you that you said that I could come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. 
If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.